0: Welcome to a brand spanking new episode of Who Do You Think You Are? An exploration into how our thoughts, beliefs, and feelings create our reality. My name is Lasia Kahoot, and I'm your host. I'm joined by my co host on this show and in life, Glenn Sheridan. Every episode, we're joined by a special guest who inspires us to consider not only what we think, but how we think, and how that thinking impacts our life experience. It's time to get this conscious conversation started as we ask today's guest, who do you think you are?
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand spanking new episode of Who Do You Think You Are? Today's guest is Reverend Lori Savage, someone that I met Well, really, I met her about two years ago, but only online, and then it wasn't until the last couple of months that we actually connected, met each other face-to-face, have had lots of conversations, and I discovered very quickly that there was a lot of stuff that we could end up talking about on this podcast, so Glenn and I invited Reverend Lori to come and join us here, and here she is today. So I know Reverend Lori from the Global Truth Center, however, she is actually from the Center for Spiritual Living Palm Desert and she is one of the newly minted reverends who is I guess affectionately known as the sensational six. Um, This is an incredibly talented, wise, intuitive, collective, cohesive group of minds that are so incredibly active, so incredibly prolific in what they have to offer their community and really the entire global community um they have a i guess a program every wednesday morning on the csl palm desert youtube channel um, where they talk about anything from well let's see i've only tuned in for a couple of months but but you guys talked about spiritual laws you talked about spiritual anger one day Um, this last one that you guys did most recently on i can't remember what it was called something about delivery Waiting for delivery, waiting for delivery was so fantastic. I think it was my absolute favorite. And all of those episodes are available to listen to online at any time. So we may talk a little bit about, um, you know, that a little bit more later on. But yeah, I mean, that work that you guys are doing is just so incredibly inspirational and so entertaining and engaging every single time. Mm -hmm. So so Rev. Lori is here today um, from the Global Truth Center, from CSL Palm Desert. She is also a certified coach through the Academy for Coaching Excellence, um, graduated there in 2006. She also produced a DVD called The Energy of Money, which is based on a book by Maria Nemeth, and we would love to talk about that a little bit more down the road. Lori is also married to the love of her life, Dawn, and she is a pup mom, uh, mm-hmm. has three dogs, Barnum, Bailey, and Maggie, which may or may not make an appearance at some point, depending on... <laughs> <how they happen laughs> let's, let's hope not. <laughs> um, but if they do, then that's okay. Lori loves to swim, and there are a whole bunch of really interesting tidbits that we're going to get to talk about as, as this... Episode unfolds. But as with every episode, Reverend Lori, what we like to ask is the very first question is, Who do you think you are?
2: (sighs) So, who I think I am is the creative energy of the universe at this specific point in time and space named Lori.
1: That is such a comprehensive answer. So, so what is, what does that mean? What is that, you know, especially the, you know, this specific, this specific point in time in space, what, what does that mean? Why is that so important?
2: So it's interesting. If it, if I was just in my little pod group of uh, close and intimate friends and someone asked, I'd just say God, I am God. Uh, The point in time is that I am the individual expression of God. You know, I am all that God is concentrated right here as me, expressing uniquely as me. And the reason I say that is because what we teach in religious science and and what I absolutely believed and believed way before I came into religious science is that God is everything, that there's only one energy that expresses creatively as everything that exists. And I got that when I was very young. Of course, I forgot it for a while. But when I was very young, I had a experience of, of it's really hard to explain you know it, those those um spiritual awakening moments those experiences of uh, deep almost mystic connection always fall short when you try to explain them
0: mm-hmm. in our
2: limited vocabulary but suffice to say that the experience was one of being part of everything that there was no separation, that there was just this one energy. And it expressed in the blade of grass that I was staring at for some reason when I was seven years old. I, was, I think I was a contemplative little kid looking back. I would spend long, long stretches of time just sitting in the grass. Or I had a little red rock. I don't know why this red rock was there, but at the top of my street, off Beaten off the street, I lived on a very, in a small town, on a very, um, uh, street with three houses. And up at the top of the street, there, there was no houses. It was just woods. And there used to be a little red rock there. And I have no idea how it got there, who painted it. It wasn't, you know, it was off. Mm-hmm. And I would go sit on that rock for long periods of time when I was a little kid. And, uh, I would go for long walks in the woods by myself, so I was, I was an odd kind of spiritually connected kid. And this was like something that I just got very young that there is only one energy and it's, and and I call it God. I don't know if I called it God back then, but I call it God now. Um, I'm comfortable with that word. I know a lot of people are not, but that's, that's who I am. How could I be anything else? the possibility of being anything else just like went away in that moment.
1: And so is this, that is something that you felt super profoundly for yourself on this rock? which when you first started talking about the rock, I was envisioning a little red rock that you like held in your hand or something. It's like
2: about that big, you know, just, I was, a, I was littler then.
1: <laughs> so. So was, what, what about people around you? Were there, were there others, people in your family, people in your, no.
2: Oh no 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 no! So was I was something grown-
1: you could talk about to people. No,
2: I never, I never talked to anybody about it. That was I don't remember ever talking about that until after I moved to California and was in religious science.
1: Okay. Uh,
2: I never, I went forty, you know, or thirty-five years without talking about it. I never shared it with anyone.
1: So you moved to California. Where did you move from?
2: Granby, Massachusetts. It's a very uh small town. I think population five thousand. Wow, a beautiful place to grow up. Uh, lots of cows and open fields and places to to be contemplated If you could do that, uh, in Granby, and so it was a wonderful place to grow up. Not too far from um Springfield. People always assume Boston, but to be honest, as a I, I never went to Boston. <laughs> My parents told me it was really far. And I don't know why I believe them, because I go to New York City, which was three times farther. But I just never went to Boston until I moved out here. I also never went to Salem until I moved here. I went to Salem, Mass, from here. And I was so irritated when I realized this has been an hour away from where I grew up. And it was such an awesome place to to
1: visit. I've never been. So what, what makes Salem Salem, such a super awesome place to visit. Well,
2: it's, it's the history. is just amazing in Massachusetts. I mean, walking through Concord and, um, and, and Salem where, the, you know, you can look at gravestones from the 1500s, mm. 1600s, uh, very early settlers. And of course the witch trials were there. So they have a lot of museums around there. And it, it is kind of an interesting energy because obviously it's it very tragic. Um, But they've memorialized it um, well. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of richness there. And and same thing with like going to Concord. My husband and I always spend the night in Concord. uh, We're flying to Boston and then drive to Concord, spend the night, and then drive the rest of the way in the morning because we usually land at night. And uh, walking through the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. Wow. So cool. And, uh, you know, Walt. Ralph Waldo Emerson I always trouble saying Ralph and Waldo together um that's where he he came of age and I've been to his house and looked at the books that he read and walked through the hallways and you could just feel that cool vibration and then of course he's buried in the sleepy hollow cemetery and uh along with a lot of other you know interesting people authors and whatnot
1: Okay, my connection to you just became that much stronger because the reason that Reverend Lori and I connected was at the very beginning of practitioner studies for me, we needed to know about Ralph Waldo Emerson and I hadn't taken any Ralph Waldo Emerson. Well, no, that's not true. There was a there was a, the Roots of Science of Mind course, which was kind of a history course where there was a little bit of Emerson involved and that was my introduction to Emerson. We only did two essays though. And Dr. James Mellon, who was my teacher and Reverend Lori's teacher, he wanted us to know eight of them. And so there was a course that he did called Emerson Immersion, which was an amazing course and Reverend Laurie was kind enough to share her notes. And so while I listened to this class. Uh, I would look at Reverend Laurie's notes, and ultimately these notes made it to my study group, and then to the rest of our class, and then I believe that a bunch of your uh, fellow ministerial students ended up using them because they hadn't taken an Emerson class. Um, so to know that wow, you were where he actually was—that's um, that's super cool. Um, Mahoney, you are muted. Is there anything that you want to ask or add to this? this segment so far
2: can i ask why mahoney
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'm just looking at his name on zoom and it does not say Mahoney. i I
3: shall mute myself again and lassey will explain
1: oh come on why am i always the one because you
3: explain you you, it you created it so (laughs) it's your your lexicon
1: you know what it's actually it has been so long that i have been calling him this I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but somewhere when we first got together it comes there was a cereal, honey bunches of oats um but I forget what company but the cereal, right? The um honey bunches of oats and and so I called Lynn Honey Bunch sometimes. But it was also like he's my honey bunch, like he's my honey, and that somehow became Mahoney. I think that's that's what it was. And the fact that he is mm-hmm. from Northern Ireland was, you know, okay because it it was Irish sounding. The really funny thing though is that even though I call him this, I call him those two names, and he calls everyone love, <laughs> A special name for me. Um, our really good friend Dave also calls Glenn Mahoney which is just so funny because nobody calls Glenn Mahoney except for me and Dave when when he's around <laughs> He's that's kind of so co-opted cool. that endearment so it's yeah it's a little kooky and weird but that's what it is so there's I love <laughs> it
2: that's that's just an awesome nickname I love that and I love the story behind it thank you for sharing that
1: okay
3: okay back to me uh well, I, I'm more, I mean, in terms of your connection to that geographically, your home area, we'll say, mm-hmm. um, I think I'd like to go visit sometime just because of the whole um, the historical roots. Like I know what, when we went to Washington, even that, even though it's a new country, like coming from Europe, you're going to bump into some older cathedrals and whatever. And they're like a thousand years old. And, um, but the age of the country and the the energy of its beginnings when I visited Washington was very real and visceral to me. It was just like, Oh, this is not what i I was expecting. you know, I just thought it would be kind of <sighs> drab or boring or I don't know what I was expecting, but like even though it's you know two hundred and fifty years, whatever, it's sort of new, but it's still like it's like, it all starts sort of here. Um, and of course that's in the present day, that's being challenged in terms of when the country began. But, um, so yeah, I am curious more about the, the magical aspects of that area. Like that you're saying the Salem, the witch trial and all that. Um, cause I know that there, there's probably, that's probably ground zero for some people wanting to know more about, um, the other dimensions and the, this kind of thing, like they will go to places like that or to where, you know, H.P. Lovecraft did his writing and this kind of stuff. Um, but there's, there must be such a strange psychic charge that's still, you know, infused in that area. Right.
2: There is, there's a, a definitely an energy there that if you are at all intuitive and I, I'm, pretty intuitive so i actually sometimes avoid areas where you know really horrible things have happened because i don't like to have that experience of that vibration um so yeah you'll definitely pick up something if you're intuitive you have a feeling of of, there's like an imprint on the earth in those places that just last and of course we you know if you go to um, science, you know, there's, there's really no time or space. I mean, everything's in the now moment. Uh, so that's still there. Um, and it's still pal- palpable in these places. At least I find for me, it is. Um, I walk in and it's cool. Oh, you can know, you just feel it.
3: Yeah. I guess, I guess it's a little bit like, as you said, if you're intuitive or if you're empathic, if you have, if you're used to sort of setting your range outside what you would consider normal, then you're more likely to encounter um, things like that you know like i I don't want to get into the whole ghost thing but but it is the same sort of idea that if people have if if there's been a a great psychic kind of mm-hmm. disturbance going on, it doesn't go away it just it just gets tuned into and out of as people go sort of near it or. Yeah. Like they, they have certain things as cues, you know, like, Oh, this is where this, I heard something about this place or that, that name reminds me of something. Oh. And then it's like things just sort of slotting, start slotting into place. But, um, and that, unfortunately that tends to be the darker element sort of thing. But I think the, when you get someone like Emerson or like, when you go into a, you know, a, the study of like where, you know, say, Charlotte Bronte or whoever was writing you just you know like oh this is like someone spent an awful lot of time in this space, you know and it's still kind of there right it's like their their wonderings and meanderings are probably still bouncing around the rooms right so
2: and ultimately a much more pleasant vibration yeah (laughs) to be an Emerson study you know and and among his books Mm -hmm. uh, you know you could just almost imagine the walls talking that they absorb these incredible conversations and uh, yeah that was that was awesome I actually would love to do that again
3: because yeah. was he like I know he was part of the transcendentalist but what he's was he sort of like entertaining people who also at the time were great thinkers and
2: yes yeah they met in his in his parlor or his library study I don't know what he called it back then but yes yeah, that's where they, they met. The transcendentalists actually met at his home. Yeah. At least, you know, part of the time. I don't know if that was the only place they met, but yeah.
3: Cool. cool. But I didn't so, know about the Sleepy Hollow connection. That's, that's amazing. And then
2: uh, if, you, if you do make it there, make sure you hike Walden Pond. It's a very short... Walden Pond is not very big, but boy, if you could go in October when the foliage is at full color... Hmm. And walk around that pond. It is magical. It is magical.
1: Okay, so I, I have a question, um, which, you know, coming, not everybody who's listening or watching right now is in the science of mind teachings or even knows about science of mind or religious science. I would venture that everybody knows at least a little bit something about energy. And so, what I'm curious about is when you talk about these places that you've been to, and use words like magical and vibration. And I mean, I'm even thinking about places I've been to. Um, I can walk into almost any church, and if there is stained glass and there's there's wood and it's quiet, not during a service or a divine liturgy, but when just you know the in between time, there is still there's I get goosebumps I mean there's just this incredible reverence this incredible energy this incredible resonance that that is still there and and it's interesting to me that in our teaching when we talk about energy and and that everyone is you know one and not one in the same but there is only one energy going on and Everyone and everything is that energy in its entirety, but expressing in a different way that you and when you're thinking of uh, quantum physics and quantum entanglement and you know how there's there's no locality, you know, like some one thing across the globe or across the galaxy or whatever could still, you know, be in relationship to to the other part of it in that exact sort of instant what is it about these places what is it about these these you know either these rooms these houses these places in nature these you know that have these buildings that have this incredible resonance have this incredible vibration why is it that these specific places you know have this you know almost like amplified power to them do you what, what are your thoughts on that
2: well, um, it's, I think it's just a vibrational imprint. I think it's just something that, you know, if you look beyond time, uh, it's still all happening, right? It's, it's you're, you're, in that, you're in that, it's so, it's just a palpable imprint to me. Um, there's something, and you have to be tuned into it. Like you said, it's, it's a matter of, I, I always like to think of it as a radio station. You know, what vibration are you tuned to? And if you are in a place where you're very calm and quiet and open, then you feel those things. Then you you kind of dance with that vibrational imprint and you move into it. Um, but I think the key is to be contemplative to the point where you feel non-local.
0: Mm-hmm
2: you've ever meditated. And that experience I told you about as a child, I became non-local in that moment. Um, Everywhere present all at once. Um, That happens when we're in a meditative state or when we are tuned in vibrationally.
1: And Ashley, just as you're saying that tuned in, I'm thinking receptive. Mm -hmm. Even listening to you talk about your experience and how you felt I felt part of that experience just listening to you talk yes. about it, and I wasn't actually there. And you're not actually there right now, you know. Yes. You are, but you aren't, yeah. <laughs> yes. Well,
2: that's um, wonderful um, books, right? When we read books that just resonate and we get tuned in to the frequency of that information, it just expands us so much because it does take us there, yeah. You know, no. as you're reading, it's like, oh my god yes, yes, yes yes. or somebody's amazing story, you can go so along for the ride if they you know a well-written book will take you right to that place and you you know yeah you physically feel it, right If you've ever watched a, a movie um, you know and you gotten God bumps or had this rush of energy go through you or something scares you, you're there with that in the moment you're tuned in into what's happening, whether it's a book or a video or a movie or a conversation. When you're in sync with that you feel it in your
1: body yeah 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 for sure how do you about to say something
3: yeah i was just thinking there so so i guess sort of the opposite of that then is a bit like when you have you're disconnected from yourself and your source and um I guess you're off your station kind of thing then? like you're, Yeah. Cause...
2: I mean, well, let's say you want to attract abundance and you're tuned to, you know, K1 black, right? Or WW lack. Um, you know, you're not going to get abundance because you're not matching the vibration of the thing you want. We talk about that all the time, becoming equal to what we want. You have to match that vibrational frequency of the thing that you're asking for. Otherwise, you're just asking and you're, if you're not doing the, the, um, mental work to, to match the frequency, it's going to take a long time and it may be harder. Um, if, if, if it happens at all, um, I was just talking to a friend about this last night to make sure, you know, you've got to be tuned into healing right now. He's having a challenge. And it was like, okay, what channel are you on? Are you, you know, consistently tuned into the healing channel? Everything that you're reading, everything you're watching on TV, everything you put in your mouth, is it aligned with that? And, and sometimes we need to be, I mean, it would be nice to do that all the time, but, you know, when we're in a crisis point in our life, it, it, it comes down to you can't afford to change your station and listen to the, the dark side or the fluff or whatever it is. Um, stay tuned to that thing you want and stay tuned long enough it's that waiting for delivery that we talked about that you mentioned in my introduction. You know, we need to stay tuned long enough for that to come into our experience of physical reality. But sometimes I think we get impatient, we change the channel, and perhaps it was just about to fly into your experience and you changed the channel, and you know, or you planted the seed and you dug it up, dug it up. I did a talk once about that, you know, just digging it up. Or, Why are you growing yet? You know, come on, grow. And, uh, you know, or, or planting a tomato when you don't like tomatoes. Yeah. Being disappointed that you got a tomato. Yeah. Don't plant the tomato if you don't like the tomato. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's really it's a simplistic way of looking at it, but it, it, it tracks to the truth. It tracks to how the universe works.
1: So, so that speaks to, I guess, awareness and focus and, and clarity. And so what a question that I guess get asked often as just in conversation, but as a practitioner, um, which I'm sure that you have been asked as well, and I think you guys might have even talked about it in, in the waiting for delivery episode is how does someone shift when you know even your friend that you were talking about just now how when someone is stuck in the muck let's say and there's even a part of them that just you know knows better and just you know like this this is this is not what I want and and I, I but like how 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 and it just kind of seems impossible even that sort of simple solution of you know change the dial or just stay there a little bit longer what is it that that you have for yourself that if you find yourself in a in a situation like that, is there is there you know one or a handful of things or something that you know can just instantly, even if it sounds kind of kooky or ridiculous or, or super simplistic or whatever, but something that can help you to shift or pivot or just you know. Tune that dial a little bit, you know, in either direction just to move from where you are, even though it seems kind of impossible. Is, is there something that you have
2: I'm so glad you asked me that because that's kind of like my specialty. So I'm really excited and you, you use the word um, uh, clarity and focus. So in my coaching model that I use, it's clarity, focus, ease, and grace. So as soon as you said that, I went, well, this is up my alley. Um, are you willing to demonstrate clarity, focus, ease, and grace? And so the first thing is discernment, discerning where you are. And so we're talking about energy. You know, One of the questions I ask people is, how are you experiencing your energy right now? And that, just that simple question has you like tune in to just chat. Like, what's your energy? What's happening within your body? Becoming aware, starting to observe. And for me, the greatest skill set I ever learned and the one that really shifted my life was that learning to observe that observational skill set. So we talk about it in in religious science. We say, you know, um, coming from the absolute versus the relative, that you want to come from the truth with the capital T, you know, that there's only one energy, that there's a law that we can use to direct this energy to create in our life, right? So you want to come from that perspective. And and in coaching, we look at, okay, so what's the small t-truth? What's really happening here? Because that's a part of discernment. Where am I on the landscape? On my playing field, where am I currently? And starting to notice that. And then how am I experiencing my energy? Just the, the observation of your own internal workings and the and really being willing to look at what's happening in your outer life also, it shifts everything. Because what I find is when people see something, it, it just takes you out of it. It automatically puts you in that absolute realm. It just does. You're like, oh, and in that place, and the way you know that you've gotten there, and that you're listening to your voice of wisdom, and you're standing in that place, is all as well. All as well. From that perspective, all is well, all the time, and always. It just is. And so all of a sudden, you start to breathe and relax, and then you, oh, look over there, oh look at that, yeah, look what I did over there, yuck, you know, but all is well, and now you can start to see all the answers, all the solutions, all the options, because there's never just one answer, but what's my answer, what's the one that calls for me, what's my next step, when you look from that observational perspective, it's all right there, you have to be calm, you have to start breathing.
1: Breathing. Breathing. That's, yeah, that's, that's a good one. Slowing everything down, becoming aware of the breath, allowing, allowing yourself to be breathed. Um, But not everybody is of that mindset. And, and, um, and for some people, and I mean, I, well, we all are where we are on our journeys. And I know that I had a very, just even this past week has been a little uneasy for me. And there, there's a specific thing that that's, that's revolving around for me. And, and it's been uncomfortable. It's, it's there, it's probably a little bit of divine discontent going on and, um, and growth. And I know enough now about myself and where I am in my journey to know that when this kind of feeling is happening, when there's this, you know, uneasiness and, and sort of, you know, imbalance or whatever, there is growth happening and and it's uncomfortable to be in and it's not very pleasant. Um, but I know that's what's going on. I I have people, I have tools, I have all sorts of resources to to lean on. Yet there's still times when If I'm not careful, then I can really quickly start to spiral into what we call secondary causation, where we're, you know, just keep creating from the mess, which reinforces, you know, the mess is real, and then, you know, the mess just becomes bigger. So we keep kind of, you know, creating a bigger and bigger mess, if you will, and stay stuck in that muck. And one of the things that I find for myself, sometimes if I can't even you know, get to that observation or discernment, you know, right away, is just to step into gratitude, gratitude for the tiniest thing, which might even be just, you know, being able to say, being able to speak, being able to breathe, I'm, you know, I'm grateful for my desk, I'm grateful for hair, like just anything, you know, to start because gratitude shifts vibration. And and I do remember a few years ago, when we first moved here, a couple of months after we first moved here, a very old and dear friend of mine, Glenn knew him too, um, committed suicide. And it, it wasn't surprising that he chose that. But it was definitely a surprise when it happened, and and the way that I found out was I was actually at the Center for Spiritual Living Victoria getting ready for Sunday service, um, and I was the head greeter and so had all sorts of things that I had to take care of, and then I was setting up my phone to record or stream Reverend Carey's talk for that day, and as I was setting things up on Facebook, this text popped through telling me of the news, and it like I just sank to the ground because it was just such an incredible shock. And and that day after, you know, feeling like I barely made it through the next few hours of, of Sunday celebration. When we got home, we were already in a place where we were feeling very challenged for many reasons as as a family and finances were were one of them. I mean, we had just moved here. We were super excited to be here. And Milana had a school, we had a place to live, but, um, and I had a part-time job, um, but Glenn didn't. And when we came here, we had no jobs. We just came here on a leap of faith, knowing this is where we're meant to be. But it was hard, it was feeling really hard. And then the news of my friend, and, and it wasn't necessarily that Sunday, but I think it might've been the next Sunday where I was just so in, the muck and swirling in this, like, you know, abyss of despair. I was screaming and crying and yelling, and I just I'd had it. I thought I don't know what to do anymore. And and I I remember, you know, full transparency here, just blurting out, you know, my friend had the right idea, you know, he doesn't have to deal with this stuff anymore. And Glenn, to his credit, just sat on the couch beside me, not trying to fix anything, not trying to solve or, you know, do any of that stuff, just sat there, let me spew and vent and rant. And then when, you know, there was some silence and a pause, he just said, asked me, love, what are you grateful for? Right? Mm-hmm. Now? Just what are you grateful for? And it was the perfect question and i don't even remember what my answer was but it would have been something as mundane as i'm grateful for this couch, i'm grateful for this living room i'm grateful for this house and as i started seeing it and he, he he would coax me you know and what else and what else and that you know the it just like that burden that heaviness that weight that I don't know what to do, that overwhelmment, you know, and beyond. I'm trying to think where I would have been on the map of consciousness, um, you know, from the Power Versus Force book. Um, But gratitude, you know, and it it just it's just such an incredibly powerful tool and to be able to be able to just lift yourself out of, you know, that kind of situation to then be able to discern and observe and breathe from a place of more calm, I guess, and, and, a, and a bit more focus and clarity because sometimes there's just, there's no doing that when you're, you know, it's just darkness, darkness, darkness and, and despair, I guess.
2: So one of the things that I learned as a coach was exactly what Glenn did with you, just cough it up. Just cough it up, man. Don't interrupt that. When someone needs to get up and they're on a roll and they're, you know, and you might even say, well, what else? I mean, you know, not just what else about the gratitude, but what else about life being happy right now? What what else? What else? And you just, because I think that's part of observation, just to get all that up and out and on the table. And so that you can, because what happens is when we're, we're uncomfortable, we don't want to look at stuff. We don't want to look at all that. And as people in this teaching, a new thought, you know, spiritual bypass is always an option, right? No, I'm not going to look at all that because then I'll attract more to that. That's the monkey mind conversation that we have. Well, yeah. no, you need to look at it. It needs to, so because once you've coughed it up and it's sitting in front of you, then you have the ability to go okay there it is and i'm bigger than that yeah and what's more interesting than that and that's exactly what glenn did with you he asked you he asked you to focus in a different direction that was more interesting than all the stuff that was swirling in you and all the despair and all that you know you need to get that out you need to give that voice give that a a, a pathway and then Take a breath and shift the focus of your attention to something more interesting, like what am I grateful for right here and right now, even if it's the smallest thing, but that small thing will lead to the next, to the next, to the next. And then you get on a roll and all of a sudden that's your, that's the direction you're going in. Yeah. Because ultimately whatever direction you're pointing, you know, wherever you're going, you're likely to get there. Yeah. So where are you going? Where are you pointed? in that moment and it's okay to stop along the path and cough up all our crap just so that we can see you know there it is and it sucks and I'm not gonna say it doesn't suck it does suck you lost a friend that was that was pretty deep suckage suck. you know and 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 you don't want to put whipped cream over garbage yeah you don't want to pretend that it's not terrible and that you're not hurting it's okay to be where you are but then to rec- recognize that you are bigger than that, you are more than that, life is more than that. That there's so much going on that sometimes we just can't back up far enough to see. And but to trust that it's there, whether I can see it or not, you know, and that's that putting on the wide angle lens, backing up, coming from the absolute, and just observing that this is a, a incredibly complex large interconnected energy that we are playing in. And sometimes I do not have the viewpoint to understand all those intricacies. And is that okay? Mm-hmm. It has to be, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, if you make it not okay. Um, you know, and what what ultimately what do I believe? Because we all have those meta beliefs, right? Like Einstein said, either we believe nothing is a miracle or everything is a miracle. And and the universe is either for us or it's just random, which one of those do you believe? And then from there, all your experience will come out of that one meta belief. So if you believe that the universe is an intelligent, loving energy, and that there's a lot going on, but it's always working for the highest and good. You know, even if it doesn't appear in the moment something bad happens, back up far enough, it's always course correcting, or we wouldn't be here.
1: You know we just we wouldn't be here if that so, wasn't true, so I have a question, and it, it uh, loving so this energy, this presence, this power, loving now this is something that I had a little bit of an aha <laughs> a licensed practitioner <laughs> having a bit of an aha a few days ago when I was actually in a prayer session with uh with one of my friends, another minister, and um and I realized that this the the idea of a loving presence, that it's not just energy or a presence or a power or spirit or you know, God greatness on demand, as Dr. James says. And it was interesting for me to think because I will call it love, mm-hmm. but I haven't thought of it as loving. And and part of that for me, I think still stems from being raised Ukrainian Catholic and and the the association I have with the god that I was raised with especially this image that I have of the god that was painted in the big dome of the cathedral of the Ukrainian Catholic Church in Edmonton where which is where I grew up and when I'd look up at that dome there was god like big yeah. and Fiery and angry looking, and just like looking down on us, kind of thing. And it was so hard to think that this was a loving God, that this was the God that was loving us unconditionally and that's a whole other like unconditionally that's a whole other conversation um but it just it was like why is he so angry like what's like what what is going on like why is he so angry all the time now i get that that was an interpretation you know the artist's you know rendering of god but it was also it was also a guy it was a guy with a big beard it you know that same sort of image of god on a cloud outside of me you know that i am maybe a part of but i'm definitely not all that and and then to come into the science of mind and spirit teachings to find out that there's only one and it stands to reason if there's only one everyone and everything is that one everyone and everything is an expression of that one in its entirety so you know yeah god is out here god is in here this is god right here but the idea that God is loving, that God isn't impersonal, and I mean, there is this impersonal element to God, right, what we call the law, um, to me, it's still, like, I realized that hasn't sunk in. And, 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 you know, the idea that everything is unfolding perfectly. We talked to Reverend Dale Olansky a few episodes ago, and she added in, Spiritual before perfectly, so instead of just perfection, spiritual perfection, which for me that sat better because I, I even even with the perfection part, I was thinking, well, yeah, perfectly in a mechanical sort of way, because that's the only way that it can work, but spiritual perfection. Um, comes from that that love you know that lovingness that you know that this is the only way that that spirit can be this is the only way that it can show up and unfold because it is loving to begin with um and i guess where i'm going with this is also that last year i think i read a book by reza aslan called god i think I think that's that's the title of it. And in the very beginning, in the introduction, he talks about how what his idea of God was growing up, big beard, guy in the sky on a cloud, um, and how he um, went through Christianity and Islam and, and I think some other stuff. And ultimately, at the end of that introduction, talks about how if we're to really understand God and our relationship to and as God, we have to stop anthropomorphizing God. We have to stop giving God human qualities. And I thought that was such an interesting point, you know, that we are not made in the image of God. Um, that There's just so much more to understand out there and that we can't understand it unless we stop regarding God as this sort of superhuman guy. And so the love part the loving part just it's been something that i realized a few days ago just hasn't dropped for me and and so it's just it's talk to me about that talk to me about you know this loving this loving god i i want to i just i want to hear reverend Lori talk about loving god <laughs> so it's it's interesting because even saying loving puts a
2: personality right it gives it uh, a personality which you know we don't believe in that but yet the highest vibration is that of pure unconditional love so that's why i say loving Mm -hmm. because when you're in that highest vibration it feels loving, I experience it as loving, and even the mechanical aspect of how it works, the law, well, what's more loving than something that says, yes, no matter what? And as you wish, as Reverend Karen says, wow. I mean, that was such a great talk, I've used that as you wish ever since. <laughs> as you wish yes. it is a you know what did Ernest Holmes say it is a cast master to the unwise and a servant to the wise
1: mm.
2: once you understand it what could be more loving than a universe that supports you unconditionally no matter what and even you know even if you choose to tune into the you know case screw station you know, uh, it's still going to say, yes, that's your choice. You get to tune into whatever whatever you choose. So I, I'm always careful not to say loving in the sense that it's a personality mm-hmm. thing. It's a vibrational thing. It's a, it has to be constructive. It has to be forever tacking towards growth and expansion because otherwise if we tack the other direction, like I said, we wouldn't be here. So that's, that's just a necessary component and we can observe it in nature. We can observe it all around us. You know, the things that we think a a, a raging forest fire, right? We used to think that was the worst thing in the world, but now we know without those fires, the, the cones, the pine cones don't pop and grow, grow new trees that there's a rebirth coming out of that destruction. That can only happen through that destruction mm-hmm. because the universe is hardwired for growth and expansion. And nothing, no amount of fire, no amount of whatever can squash that.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: may temporarily look like, you know, my, my husband says, you know, I, I may look like I'm doing nothing but on a cellular level, I'm quite active. And I think the universe is like that too. I mean, that's just you know, when he's sitting around. <laughs> it's really cellularly. I'm very active right now. And and you know, so sometimes we can't see all that cellular quantum particle action, but it's always happening. It's mm-hmm. always moving, everything's always vibrating, and it's always going through greater and greater expression of life. You know, we, we talk about good, but good again puts that judgment on it it's not good it's not bad it's just an expression of life and it must move in that direction that seems self-evident that just seems evident that if it didn't we would have died off by now it would be gone it would you know eventually it would it would cease to exist if it was moving towards destruction yeah you know, or even stagnant you know and there is no stagnant yeah so to see that that's happening at a level that we can't always discern, but to have faith that, that, that is the truth. And, and I don't even know that we need to have faith anymore because science is now like proving everything. Ernest Holmes and all the great teachers and Emerson and all of them ever said, all the mystics throughout time, science is now right in alignment with them. Yay, yeah. hey, that's so exciting. I mean, that's just a, that's our next conversation, isn't it? Yeah. The, I don't think we talk about that enough in our, in our churches, in our centers, in our, in our New Thought movement. We haven't really stepped up to say, oh my God, look well, what's about. happening, and we're proving it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can prove it in our own life. I proved it way before science did for myself, mm-hmm. you know, because I was interested in that conversation. Yeah. Going back to, what are you interested in? I found it interesting, this idea that I could prove this science this teaching in my life and I was willing to do what it
1: took to see if it worked and ta-da, it did yeah so tell us tell us a really big way that it worked for you um uh, your move why you ended up moving to California because that, oh. that has something to do with that right So interesting, back in
2: um, Massachusetts, even though it was kind of the birthplace of new thought, uh, certainly of Emerson, uh, there was no new thought. It kind of died out back there. And um, so I wasn't exposed at all to this teaching. I knew nothing of it. There was was quite a bit of new age, which I kind of resonated with because it was all, it was the closest thing I could could find. But intuitively, I think I had that awakening when I was young and I had that sense of the universe. And then I went to sleep and I went into a very deep snooze, let's say coma, for 20 years. Uh, my life, I tuned into a vibration that was extremely limiting and fear-based and, and um, I got ill and uh, became agoraphobic, which means you're basically afraid of everything outside of your house. And even inside the house wasn't that great because there I was um, <laughs> <you> know, where, <laughs> I was still there um i I was having a really horrible limiting experience, and um you know th- that gets frustrating after a while, and I was trying to break out of it. I was trying to figure out like what's happening here why is is this my life, and really at the pivot point where I was maybe I don't want to do this. You know, if this is going to be my life, maybe I'm just done. And uh, something shifted inside of me. And I just literally heard a voice that said, do the thing that scares you the most and you will be free. And I suddenly remembered a movie I'd watched like a year before um, called Paradise, a little movie. I don't think most people have ever seen it. It was uh, Elijah Wood, you know, from uh, uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, That was his first movie. He was maybe seven. He was a little, tiny, cute guy with those big eyes, right? He was just adorable, Don Johnson and Melanie Griffin. And he played a kid who was kind of scared all the time. And He met this girl who wasn't afraid of anything, who was just like, ah, out in the world and having a ball. And he was like, oh, my God, what are you doing? Um, I, saw I saw it. Have you, Have you seen it? it? Yes, yes, I've seen it. It's such a, it's such a little sleeper movie, but there's so much richness there. And, you know, at one point he kind of breaks himself free and he does something crazy in a way uh, that's really scary to him. And him and uh, Melanie Griffith later are, are laying together and she says to him, why did you do that? And he said, because I'm tired of being afraid all the time. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I thought if I did the thing that scared me the most, I'd be free. And she says to him, did it work? And he gets this look on his face. Oh, it brings a tear to my eye. This little smile. And he says, yeah, it did. And it was like, my body flooded in that moment with this possibility. But it didn't come back to me for a little while. And when I heard that, I remembered that scene and I went, okay, that's my ticket out. Either I'm I'm leaving the plane or I'm, you know, now I got nothing to lose, right? Because now I've made a decision. I'm done. One way or the other, I'm done. So there was nothing left to lose. And I asked myself, you know, what scares me the most? And that was a big question because everything scared me. I was freaking agoraphobic. I couldn't walk around my block. I'd been trying to walk around my block for like a year. My poor Chihuahua. You know, I just kept trying to get around. I couldn't do it. I'd get almost halfway and I'd have to turn around. It was weird. It was like the same distance either direction, but there was some misfire. I'd wired my brain in such an odd way by this repetitive fear that it would just trigger this full-blown panic attack unless I turned around. Mm -hmm. So everything scared me. And I thought, okay. And then suddenly I remembered, oh, shoot, I'm supposed to, excuse my language, I'm supposed to be living in California. I knew that from the time I was a little kid, came here when I was about 18, knew this was where I was meant to live, and again went home and fell asleep and had this horrible experience. And um, I went, oh, that's it. Oh, God. Oh, God, that's it. I mean, you can imagine how terrifying that realization was for me. But I became a choiceless choice. Mm -hmm. And everything conspired to make that happen for me. I mean, all kinds of, um, from a girlfriend offering to drive out with me. um, She met somebody who lived out here in Sedona And they ended up getting married because she drove me out here with me. Wow. So little offshoots of that story, that intricate puzzle and how it fits together. Um, It it was just amazing. So all, you know, I can't go into all of them, but they were just this amazing pieces just kept falling together. That got me out here, including a friend getting a job out here. Um, And when he got the call to say, um, you know that he had this job offer he looked at me and he said do you think i should take it and again i heard the voice saying yeah that's for you i knew that job offer had nothing to do with him it was for me so i'd have a place to land that's exactly how it worked out because i you know that was a big undertaking to do that and not know anybody so having that one person as an anchor and a place to stay and the universe conspired to set all that up for me
1: Mm -hmm. and then
2: once i got here i discovered science mind first time in that church cried like a baby realized oh my god i'm not the only only one i'm not an alien like all of a sudden my epiphany when i was seven made sense like there were others that knew this because you asked me did i ever talk about it no but now i could i didn't have to like put that you know thinking i was some kind of weird i'm on the wrong planet and there's my people there was my husband shortly thereafter um you know which brought grandkids and pups and community and my people and you know all of a sudden there was a more interesting conversation than what are you afraid of it shifted to what are you excited about what are you going to do now (gasps) everything was open i was starting I was kind of old to be starting out again (laughs) and new, you know, Uh, most people would have been through college and had careers by then. And here I was like brand new to the world. Almost. I missed most of my adulthood, you know, at that point. Uh, (laughs) Well, it it kind of couldn't have worked out any better. I mean, I'm deliriously happy. I love my life. Uh, You know, It's, a, it's my hero's journey as Joseph Campbell would say I had a lot of dragons to befriend wow. a lot of dragons to befriend along the way but boy they stand by me now uh-huh. and uh, it's tuning into tuning into listening to that intuition that is coming in that you're tapping into and then listening to it learning to listen to it because I think for a long time I I didn't no 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 can't hear you can't hear you and now I hear it and I go oh, no I mean often I do and my reaction is oh really oh come on you're going to be a minister really that wasn't that wasn't part of my plan but that intuition yeah now it said go here you you can't see where it's going to lead right now you just need to do this and trust it will lead you to Well, sitting here with you two today. That's where it's led me thus far. (laughs) How cool cool is that? You know, now if you'd asked me, would, would, you know, I'd be sitting here talking to you today? No, I couldn't have foreseen that. And all the other cool things that are are happening because I I chose this direction. And I have no idea where it's going to end up. And I don't even, it doesn't matter anymore. That's, boy, you know, that is the best feeling in the world where you can release all attachment to outcome and just know it doesn't matter whatever it is, it's going to be freaking awesome. And let me just be open to it. And, and, you know, balancing that with also taking action and pointing yourself in a direction because as a coach, you know, I have to do that to be coherent. (laughs) So, you know, it's, it's that balance between just being open to all that, all the possibilities, listening to the intu- intuition, discerning what's next, saying yes to it, and then you know, pointing in a direction and taking concrete steps towards it and continuing to check in. Do I continue to go straight or is there a right turn here somewhere that right now I can't see till I get to that part of the path? But you know, warning there's a right turn, sharp right coming up. My prayer partner said that something came up. In my life, that was very unexpected and definitely not something I would have put an order into the universe for, right? And it just it came out of nowhere, and I went, Oh, okay. Well, I do believe that my life is unfolding perfectly. Do I really believe that? Yes. Okay, good. Then this is for my good. Um, whatever shows up on my path, am I willing to say yes to? Yep, check. Got that down. Boom, went down my checklist of how I live my life. All is well. And took the right turn. And my prayer partner went, Wow, that was a hard right You made that effortlessly. How'd you do that? And I was like, Cause I put all these things in place.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I have a way I live my life. I have a belief system that I have practiced and put in place and this almost like this checklist that can go down to get myself in alignment with my greater good. You know, and I and, and you learn to do it quickly you know, uh, rather than diving, going down the rabbit hole, and, and mm-hmm. then you need to climb, climb your way back out, not to say I don't go down the rabbit hole here and there, but I try to keep my feet sticking out, you know, so I can back out easily, uh, I tell my clients that, God, please just call me before you're
1: completely
2: down the rabbit hole, leave your feet sticking out for me, it makes my job so much easier, you know, let's practice that skill set, <laughs> you know, let's, first of all, maybe you could see the rabbit hole before you even get to it, like notice it's there and call me then so we're going to practice shortening the time where you recognize uh oh i'm about to dive into monkey mind i'm about to go down to i'm tuning my station into something i don't want to experience get it and and shorten the period of time you know where you can make the correction and shift to something more interesting it's Mm -hmm. a dance and it's a skill set i think if i would want to share anything with the people listening this is a skill set you can learn it and you can practice it mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's, it's that simple it's a choice it's like any it's like playing the piano you know you're horrible at it at first everything sounds terrible but if you keep working at it all of a sudden your fingers move without conscious thought mm-hmm. I wouldn't know well, I don't play the piano but that's my assumption <laughs> I watch my friends play and I'm like how do you get all your fingers to move you know <laughs> how do you do that but it's they couldn't tell you because it's unconscious now it's just part of it's a subjective experience
1: and is, and right now we're teaching our daughter how to drive and yeah. we're a weekend and and she will end up having some lessons with a certified driving instructor whose job it is to teach yeah. this you know to people However, it's a really neat experience. I'll speak for myself only because Glenn and I haven't done it together. You know, I'll, I went out with her several times, you know, in a row. And now Glenn's gone a couple of times with her. And what's interesting for me is to, you know, I've been driving for decades now. And even though I, I consider myself a good driver and a safe driver, and there's so much to pay attention to and be aware of, there's still so much that you do almost by rote because yes. you've been doing it for so long. And so now to impart that knowledge and go through those skills so that someone who's brand new can learn how to drive from scratch, that's a really interesting you know, yeah. thing to, to undergo.
2: So, so yeah. what we do as practitioners and ministers, right? Hopefully <laughs> we have subjectified the use and the skill set of this teaching Mm -hmm. um, to the point where it becomes an automatic thing in our lives, but then we have to be conscious of how did we do that so that we can teach others and walk them through the, it's like teaching somebody to drive. Suddenly you have to bring that to your conscious mind so that you can share it with somebody and support them in practicing until they get, you know, until they subjectify it to the point where it's automatic.
1: Yeah, the number of emails that I have sent back and forth or have had back and forth with Dr. Angelo, who's the Dean of the Emerson Theological Institute, to ask him questions about, okay, so I want to teach this course and I want, you know, people to be able to get a credit for it, you know, in this way. I just want to be sure that I'm hitting all of the, you know, things that that Emerson needs as, as you know, qualifications for success, successful completion. And now it's developing the material because I want to do it, you know, in a fresh, exciting way that also involves quantum physics in there to explain why spiritual mind treatment works. Um, And, you know, in a way that is maybe more secular and more scientific than even the religious scientific way that Ernest Holmes, you know, talks about it in his books, because that's. You know that's the
2: direction we've gotta go in and it's the direction we're going in. Uh, <laughs> so, so it's nice to get at the front of that train, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: No, it's super exciting and yeah, it's super fun. And yeah, I really like it. So there's there's still one more thing that I really, really want to ask, but there's a bunch of things that I could ask. And this is one of those times where Glenn has been actually kind of quiet. And I think it's just because you you're so interesting and, and you just talk and you've answered a few of my questions you know even before I've had a chance to ask them. But Mahoney, before I ask my final question, um, is there something that you want to ask Reverend Lori?
3: Well, I'm very impressed with <clears throat> your sort of cohesive message of this is you know these are steps you're going through and as long as you're, you keep doing them, you know, all is well. Right. Uh, And as you were talking about your coach coaching clients, I was thinking about like what they're going through that is bringing them to you. And I would imagine there's sort of current events outside of their own immediate personal lives that are really maybe causing challenges for them. So, I'm just trying to work through this by speaking. I'm sorry. So, so you're, you're also taking each one that comes and and saying to yourself, well, this is the right person because they're going to maybe challenge me in this way uh, or make me allow me to prove that I, you know, I know what I'm doing and I'm, I'm uh, going to be of help to them and to myself. Um, But of course, sometimes there are people that you think, I'm not sure I can help. You know, you know. There's always this kind of line that you may hit. That you think, "Oh, I'm not. Am I the right person? Because this is this person now is either on a totally different trajectory, or they're really maybe they need a different modality of help." Yeah. Um, but do you have do you have that kind of thing where you're, well, you're checking yourself? There, there's on
2: that? a definite discernment there. I mean, I know pretty quickly if someone. My assumption is if you've called me, whether it's as a practitioner or minister or coach, that you're willing. So I would always, you know, enter in that way. But if somebody is struggling and can't kind of pull themselves out of that rabbit hole to, to keep going with the metaphor, I'm always open to the possibility that there's something going on that may um some sort of trauma or, or something else happening that they need different kind of support. So I heard somebody say coaching is for people who have kind of really sound mental health, right? Like they've, they've handled all that trauma and now they're like, what's next? Um, Maria Nemeth, who you know, was one of my, my first teachers, and I, I just adore the model she came up with. The reason she came up with it, she was on the um, therapist couch three days a week for, I don't know, endless years. And she said, I was laying and looking up at the ceiling and I thought, I gotta be done with this now, what's next? Like what, What? I'm not, get, now I'm, I'm going around in a circle. I've been here so long. I'm not progressing anymore. So what do I need to do to start progressing? And she herself was a, um, a psychologist. So, you know, she had that background and she thought, okay. And with my clients, I'm seeing the same thing. Like they need something else. And that's why she developed this model to give kind of people who have done the healing that next step. And of course, as practitioners, we don't make that discernment. We would, you know, it's okay. We can pray with anybody at any level, anywhere, anytime for anything. Um, but it's it's good to it's just discernment. You get a feeling, you get a it got almost a click of working together. I can see in someone's eyes when they suddenly oh they go into observational mode. You see that there's a click that happens. It's like they, all of a sudden and I go, what did you just see? Oh, It's usually like the response is like, oh, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of, oh, I saw something, like, I get it now. And boom, in that second, they know exactly what to do. I I, I never know what they should do, nor should I. It's not my job to know what your next step is. My job is to stand with you, put my arm around you and say, let's look. Until you, and we're gonna look long enough. We're gonna stay with it. No matter how uncomfortable you get, I'll be right here. I'll be right here by your side. You're gonna be uncomfortable. Keep looking, keep looking, keep looking. And then they go, oh, there it is. I see it. And then, boom, they know exactly what to do, which is so cool. Um, Maria used to talk about that magic eye thing, you know, where you you ever see those with the patterns and you stare at them and suddenly there's a dolphin jumps out or something? Oh, I'm terrible at those things. Thank God I'm, I'm better at it in the coaching realm. But eventually, I mean, it takes me a long time and you lower your gaze and you kind of stare and stare and stare and you don't see anything. But if you stay long enough, there's the dolphin. You know, of course, there's some kid that walks by and goes, oh, look, mommy, a dolphin!" and you're like, you I don't see it. <laughs> but that to me, that that's kind of the whole coaching model in a nutshell is that you, you just you're practicing observing. And once you see and discern where you are, you will know the next steps to take and you will experience a sense of all is well. Right? like this is no matter where you are there's always something you can do to move yourself on the path and you and you'll see that and so um, I don't know if that answered your question it's an intuitive it's a, a you know are we on the same station are they if not are they can they tune to this observational vibration is that something that you know they feel is going to work for them Um we have a saying that you know coaching didn't take place unless action took place. So are they then taking walking away and taking action based on what they saw? If not, then they didn't really see. There's more work to do. There's something more to do. And and being willing, not being attached, you know, because there might be somebody better for you as a practitioner, as a minister, as a as a coach, you know, there's there's a lot of possibilities out there. There's great coaches and practitioners and ministers. So finding the one that you align with most, you know, it's really important.
3: Okay. Thank you. Yeah
2: and most of the people that I'm I'm talking to right now or hanging out with or coaching are doing fantastic. I mean they're not they I, I think right now I have people around me who have really been well practiced. I haven't had new clients lately so they're well practiced. So when this whole pandemic, the whole change in the landscape came up, they had the skill set place to deal with it. Right. And it's not even it's not a huge blip on the radar screen. It's like, oh yeah, I miss my friends. I miss hugging. I miss eating out. That's different than, oh my God, I'm I'm freaking out. I, I can't do this. They've got skill sets in place, which there's another reason to build the skill set because stuff will happen. We will, you know, this is likely, maybe not our last pandemic. It's not, you know, we're going to have financial collapses that come up. There things will happen in the world that if you are not, if you don't have that skill set in place, they're going to throw you. They're going to toss you in that rabbit hole, or you're going to want to climb in the rabbit hole. But if you have the skill set, they come up, you go, oh, you, you built confidence that you can handle whatever shows up on your path. And just say yes, and use it. Isn't that, that's the next step, right? So here this has come up, this pandemic come, comes up. What happened was internally, I looked at it and went, how can I use this? What's there, what is there for me to see here? How might this um, uh, support me in growing to the next level? How can I use this to further myself on my path and to deepen my skill set? There's a question and there's an answer. <laughs> like you'll see if you ask that question, you'll get an answer rather than, oh, my God, this is wrecking my life. I hate it. No, how can I use it?
3: Yeah, because if there there is, if there is a question, then there's an answer, just automatically waiting there. It's just there, you know.
2: Two sides of the same coin; they're inseparable. And sometimes the answer doesn't come quite as quickly as flipping the coin, but it's there. You know, just sit with it for a while. And sometimes we don't like the answer too. (laughs) There's that. (laughs) Sometimes I get an immediate answer. I go, "Oh no!" And you know, eventually, oh yeah, that was it the first time. (laughs)
1: okay okay so one more question before we finish up because it's been about an hour intuition is something you've talked about a lot listening that you know sort of that the inner connection the the knowing and and so what I would like you to talk to us about is is how intuition and knowing and the universe conspiring to make things happen for you fit in with love and you and your husband well oh, that <laughs> we need another hour
2: for that one because we have
1: a when I asked you a few questions in an email a few weeks back you said, I have a great story about my, how my husband and I got together, but it might be too woo-woo. And then you referred to it just ever so briefly in a conversation we had a few days ago. And I thought, Oh my gosh, we got, we got to hear about this at least a little bit. And then, you know what? We would love to have you come back because there is just so much more <laughs> that we could talk about.
2: Oh God. um, Kind of feels like a little bit of an, a, a theoretical, fairy tale uh in a way i um i had not had a lot of success in relationship because you know i wasn't in a very good place so i attracted appropriately for the place that i was in in my life so even that i'm grateful for because you know when you're freaking out it's good to have a companion even if it's not a great companion it's something somebody breathing in the in the place with you um I had kind of given up on relationships when I came to California. I let go of the idea that I needed one. And I thought, okay, I got into religious science and it occurred to me, I need to become the person I want to attract. And until I can do that internally, I'm just letting go. And, um, and I did, I was really, I, you know, I might go out on a date, I'd see that little red flag come up and before I'd think I could fix that. Now I would think, no, thank you. Um, you know, and, and just nope, nope. And I did a lot of work and, uh, and wasn't attached, a lot of work on myself, but wasn't attached to how that looked in a relationship. And uh, <laughs> I, I lived in a neighborhood where we had a spiritualist church. Like a block away. Do you know what that is? That is a church for mediums. It, believe it or not, they have their own church. And so intuitives and mediums, this is like a little hubbub. And I, I, I think I went to it once, and it was really fascinating. It wasn't like any church I'd ever been to. Um, it's very woo-woo. And uh, they were having a fair where you could pay 20 bucks to get a reading. And I thought, oh, what the hell? I threw my 20 bucks down. And this woman said, you're going to meet the man you're going to marry in March. You're going to be running an event. He'll be one of your volunteers. He'll be standing on a hill kind of away from you. But then he's going to come over to you and he's going to say X, Y, and Z. And she's very, very specific. And I walked away thinking, oh, what a bunch of – nobody's that good. I'm sorry. I just – Totally dismissed it. Fast forward to March. I'd forgotten all about it. I'm at an event. And first I thought, why would I be running an event? But it it turned out I was. And he was one of my volunteers. And uh, up on a hill, came over to me and said, I really admire the way you put this all together. And I almost fainted. Because I I remembered in that moment, I, I mean, the color must have drained out of my face. And I went, oh, my God. It was exactly what she said, and I looked down and I went, "Oh, and this is this is funny." She said, "He's going to be very tall, very handsome, and often mistaken for gay," which I thought was weird. And and sure enough, I looked down and I went, Yeah, very tall, very handsome, I could be gay." I mean, you know, I don't know why that was there, but it turned out we we have an incredible a lot of gay friends in our lives. So I think that was what she was seeing, but it was it was um, it was a moment of not my, like, my head didn't know what to do with that. And his, his wife had just passed away, like, that month. And so immediately I shut it down. Nope, not him. Can't be him. Can't be. Nope, not appropriate. Nope, 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 nope. And walked away. And literally, I cannot tell you how many weird things happened from that over the next year. That brought us together. I mean, to the point of, I was having, um, lunch with my friend who was blind, completely blind, and he was a member of the church. And he asked me, he said, so we used to call it the right and perfect mate. And he said, so how's the right and perfect mate thing going? And I went, nothing, you know, no. And he went, why aren't you telling me? And I went, telling you what? He's blind. And he said, it's it's gone savage, come on. And I went, what? How do you know that? And he went, oh my God, I just knew the first time I was in a room with the two of you, you know that, right? And I went, oh, no. Okay. And then my girlfriend who was very also intuitive gave me a hug and she's whispered in my ear. She said, you know, you're right. Perfect mate. It's Don Savage, right? I I mean, I was just like, it was freaking, I got God bumps. It was freaking me out. This stuff kept happening. And then he called me and said, you know, I hear you do Reiki. And I was wondering if you could work with me because I'm, I'm grieving and you know, would you, I said, sure, sure. And uh and uh we worked together and I felt his his wife come in and uh it was remarkable and he, he was kind of squirming a little and I said what's wrong and he said I think Jamie's here and I said mm-hmm. and she just picked up my hand and put our hands together. And I thought, oh shit, uh, you know, excuse my language again. But I was just like, oh my god. And then, even then, I still back then I wasn't quite as skilled at listening to my. Even then, I was still like, okay, that's not that didn't, that didn't just happen. But continuing for the next year, things like that continued to happen. And to the point where, you know, it was, I, I liken it to bumper bowling when you go bowling as a little kid and they put the bumpers up so you can't go. I felt like every time I, I, I was working to dismiss it, something else that was so in your face remarkable would happen. And, uh, you know, obviously I, I didn't share any of that with Don, that would not have been fair. And uh, kind of kept it to myself, but uh, eventually, he he knew the same way I knew, and uh, our sense was that you know, uh, my sense was that Jeannie loved him so much that she just you know wanted him to be happy, and she basically came to say, "This is our agreement. You need to step up here. Uh, you need to step into this and just say yes." And <laughs> obviously, I did. We've been married uh, going on. Uh, let's see, 15, 14 years. And uh, I couldn't be happier and uh, talk about the universe conspiring for my good and being loving. And, uh, you know, I'm so glad I did the work that I did because I needed to be the person I was to match his energy and the person he was and is. And, um, you know, I, I dreamed of having grandkids Uh, even though I never had children and now I've got five Um, you know that that is an amazing blessing and there's there's I, I could go on for hours telling you all the really you know but but Randy you know the guy the guy who can't see knowing just by being in a room with us was pretty remarkable I thought and uh yeah it was it was everybody knew everybody and when I finally told him Uh, it was funny because he was starting to date and we had become friends and he was starting to date and I was like "Mm, okay now what do I do right like um and I got a clear you need to say something and and um so I finally stepped into that and said you know uh and he said to me he said what's wrong you're very like you're very pale, <laughs> what's going on, and I said, well, you know, I, I, I'm finding, I'm, I'm sorry, because at that point, I had fallen in love, like, there had been a year of us being friends, and I already, you know, I knew this was the man for me, and uh, he had no clue what was happening that entire year, he was just la, 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 la. and uh, when I told him, he said, he knew, I mean, he knew, he kind of resisted a little, because we have a bit of an age difference, and that concerned him, and and I kept saying every date we went on. I'd say, "So you are over the age difference yet?" "No, not yet." By the third day, he's like, "Yeah, all right, I'm done." And that was <laughs> and that and that was that. But um, yeah, it was funny. It's like the whole. It felt like everybody we knew were holding their breath to wait for that moment that we finally got together because everybody saw it. Yeah, you know, even his friends. He said, "You know, I've, I've started dating Lori, and and one of his friends. Well, well, it's about time." <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, he's like, what? And he's like, oh, come on! <laughs> it's like, apparently there were sparks that other people could see, but he was kind of, I think, squashing because he thought it was too young for him. Yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, you know, when you're when you're attuned, uh, amazing things happen. Amazing things. A life just, yeah, you start trusting. And saying yes and being willing, and that is just such a powerful combination.
1: Mm, thank you for sharing oh, that. Was, that. that was a walk down the, the episode innovation. for tears. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So we are just over an hour at this point, so we'll wrap it up for today. But Reverend Lori, would you come back another time so that we can oh, talk sure. about stuff? This has been so much fun and so enjoyable. Oh, I
2: would love to, thank you. I've, I've enjoyed myself.
1: Yay! Um, okay, so now we have our, our rapid fire question segment. Okay. Lighten things up before we All right, we I better take off. a sip
2: here. <laughs> it's, uh,
1: it's not too high pressure. Okay, It's all in good fun. Glenn uh, is going to be asking the questions, and you're going to have a minute in which to answer as many as you possibly can, just you know, off the top of your head. No serious thinking about anything.
2: I love game shows, so
1: so I'm, I'm ready. a timer here.
2: I feel like I need a buzzer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but yeah, just you know. Yeah. Um, okay, so honey Bunch, are you ready with your questions? Yeah,
3: sure. Yeah.
1: Okay, so get ready, set, go.
3: Okay, which do you prefer, showers or baths? Showers. Are you more wave or particle? Wave. Uh, Exercising or lazing around?
2: Exercising.
3: Walking on a beach or walking in a forest? Beach. Spiritual prototype or mental equivalent?
2: Mental equivalent.
3: How many tattoos do you have? One. Forgetting or forgiving? Forgiving. Salty or sweet? Sweet. Gene Kelly or Fred Astaire? Gene Kelly. Uh, Your fave Looney Tunes character?
2: oh that's bunny,
1: and done okay. <laughs> now i want to know what the rest of the questions are though well <laughs> i want i want to know because glenn continues to not ask this one what is your favorite spiritual truth
2: oh that life always unfolds perfectly has to be
1: that's a winner, winner, chicken dinner for a lot of people. Well,
2: that, it, it has to be my favorite. It kind of encompasses everything, you know, that, they, it, it's, it's, it's that trusting, that throwing yourself into that infinite sea of receptivity, as on this home says, that's my favorite visual, because I love the water, and I love to swim, mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, okay, so, Glenn, to, uh, what, what else?
3: Tell One us. more
2: question.
1: Oh, oh yeah, right.
3: So w- pick a number between 1 and 504.
2: 299.
3: Okay. And then pick a number. Oh, that's not going to work. Okay. Pick a number between 1 and 8. Uh, 3. Okay. So this is from... Isaac Asimov's Book of Facts. It's a very strange book. It's just a whole bunch of random facts.
1: This is what you've won, Reverend Lorne. I've won. won a fact. A fact. I won a fa- I've never won a fact before. From
3: Isaac Asimov. And the, uh, the one you picked, number three, is in the modern technology section. Okay. And it is that coal dust sprayed by aircraft over Russian fields absorbs the early spring sunshine. The resulting warmth melts the snow a little sooner.
2: <laughs> to use that, Massachusetts. Except, of course, who wants to breathe in cold dust? That's right.
3: <laughs> I think this book wow. was written in the in the eighties or something because there's a lot of stuff about Russia in here. So, ah,
2: yeah,
3: seventy nine. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
2: Well, that, that was interesting.
1: Thank you. Ah. Okay. Congratulations. Thank <laughs> you. <Yeah. laughs> Well, Reverend Laurie, thank you so much for being here with us today. It was an absolute delight. I feel I took a lot of notes because I've decided I'm going to start taking little notes so that I have little, um, you know, hashtags that I can use once we start posting these episodes. And I feel like I learned so much, and even mm. had a bit of an aha moment. I have to say, um, that's the last fifteen <laughs> minutes or so, which was. It really it was you know if you were looking at me you would have seen that little like oh what did you just see Mm -hmm. so thank you for that I will share it with you later so you are a minister at CFL Palm Desert the center for spiritual living Palm Desert you are a coach you uh, actually are just getting into the video editing biz as well Reverend Lori helped us with our video editing and and then there may be some other things that you can offer you know services or time expertise mm-hmm. whatever so if someone would like to get in touch with you directly how would they go about doing that
2: i just set up a brand new gmail account dot gmail.com
1: okay fantastic we will have a slide that we will put up that people can see So that's great. So again, thank you, Reverend Laurie, for being with us here today. I look forward to continuing the conversation another time. And Honey Bunch, thanks uh, so much for your co-hosting, co-steering skills. And I guess that's it. So thank you to everyone for tuning in to another episode of Who Do You Think You Are? Thank you. Thank you. Blessings to all. And we'll see you again soon. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks. This has been an episode of Who Do You Think You Are? An exploration into how our thoughts, beliefs, and feelings create our reality. My name is Lassia Kahoot, and I have been your host. My co host has been Glenn Sheridan. We'd like to thank the following for helping us make this podcast a reality Video editing, Lori Savage, Lassia Kahoot. Music, Vasco Lorenco, copyright, 123RF.com. Background illustration, Sacmasterke, copyright123rf.com. Graphic Design, Lasia Kahoot. For more information on this podcast and our Lassia Kahoot Soul Excavator, please visit www.lassiakahoot.com. Thank you for listening to Who Do You Think You Are?